All right, we are wrapping up Mark chapter 1 today. That's the thing with Mark's gospel, since it's got these uh, really short chunks that keep coming at you. It can take a while to get through a chapter, uh, but we are successful in that. <coughs> and uh, today is actually probably one of the more powerful texts, if we pay attention, um, uh, particularly at the beginning of this, uh, because it's something that rarely, if ever, was done. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. But he was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, as Jesus opened the minds of the disciples in Emmaus, uh, so we ask that our minds would be opened, that we might understand the scriptures, the reality of uh, the resurrection, the reality of this cleansing of a leper, and therefore know Christ more fully, to know ourselves more fully as well and our great need for Jesus. We ask this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Theoretically, wouldn't it be great to not feel pain ever again? I heard a yes. Okay. (laughs) That didn't mean the rest of you had to chime in. I heard a yes. On the surface of it, we think that. But let's pause for a moment. Let's think about a a man by the name of Paul Brand, and perhaps you've read uh, some of his books. Uh, But Paul was the son of missionaries in India. Uh, He watched as people struggled with pain because his mom would do some dental work, which often meant the extraction of teeth, and there he would be watching this take place as these people experienced a great amount of pain. And he probably thought, wouldn't it be great if they didn't have to feel that? Shortly after his father's death, when he was a teenager, he went back to England and he began to study medicine. He ended up serving as a casualty surgeon during World War II, where he saw lots of pain. After he was certified, he returned to India as a medical missionary to work at the Christian Medical College and Hospital in Valor. I hope I spelled, I pronounced that correctly. All right, I get a bonus point today. It was at visiting uh, a leprosy sanitarium that he began an 18-year study of the disease of leprosy. And because his specialty was pain, what he ended up learning was that what leprosy did was attack your ability to feel pain. 
And it was because you could no longer feel pain that you could no longer pay attention to the injuries that you received. You didn't even know that you had an injury. For instance, in his book, he recounts of one person whose hands he had repaired. We'll get to that later. And this poor fellow had fallen asleep while he was reading a book. And one hand was chewed on by a rat while he slept. And, of course, he didn't wake up because he didn't feel it. The other hand had fallen and it was landed on the hurricane lamp that was by his, uh, by his um, mattress. And he ended up burning the new hand, basically, down to the tendons because he didn't feel it. And so while we, while we might be tempted to think that pain is a horrible thing, pain is also something of a gift. Leprosy is something that takes away our pain and therefore our ability to care for ourselves. That's important, I think, to understand what goes on when Jesus meets a leper. Uh, That this is a profound disease that Jesus is going to interact with and show his supremacy over. But as I normally do, I come up with some questions that I am usually think of as I read the text. And so uh, I thought, you know, what do distress and faith look like? This is, a, this is going to be a distressed man, but I believe he's also a man of faith. And so uh, what does this look like? And so we start off with the, the, uh, you know, the fact that a leper came to him. And leprosy in the Scriptures is one of the most dreaded diseases uh, of that day. Uh, there was, at that point, no cure for leprosy. They're not sure exactly how it spread. And death was inevitable because of leprosy, because your body would begin to literally fall apart. Your body would be deformed, and your body would be distressed. As we read Isaiah 1, you kind of wonder if if, uh, Isaiah is describing a leprous person when he says, uh, from the sole of the foot and even to the head, there is no soundness in it, and referring to the body, but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And the picture in Isaiah 1 is a picture of a person whose wounds are not being tended to, but they are profound and they are prevalent throughout the body, something very similar to, if not actually, leprosy. Precisely because it was contagious, you were isolated from family and your community. As we read in Leviticus 13, you were to reside alone outside the camp, And later, when they had villages, when they moved into the promised land, you were to be outside of the villages. Alone. Isolated. Cut off. It's interesting. I was reading uh, the newest By Faith magazine, and they have uh, the the editor's letter, and there he quotes Senator Ben Sasse from Nebraska, who notes that among epidemiologists, psychiatrists, public health officials, and social scientists, there is a growing consensus that the number one health crisis in America right now is not cancer, not obesity, and not heart disease. It's loneliness. 
And all of these studies point out to the increased prevalence of other problems as a result of loneliness. The lonely are more prone towards mental health problems. The lonely are more prone towards heart attacks. The lonely are more prone to getting sick and staying sick longer. Pointing to the necessity of community. And here is the leper who was removed from community. Who was in a sense sentenced to loneliness. In addition to the physical realities of this disease. But it's not just the the being sent outside of the community, but while you were interacting with the community, because you could come into the town, but there were stipulations. You had to wear, of course, raggedy clothes. You had to stand out you, in that regard. You had to wear a bit of a mask in, in that day. And you need to cry out, which was probably the worst part of it, unclean, unclean. You had to warn all of the people around you not to come too close to you. He was the leper, ritually or ceremonially unclean. That in addition to being a physical problem, there's also some sort of spiritual problem uh, that reveals sin's corruption, sin's contamination. It's not that you had, not that you were sinning, or so to speak, that uh, leprosy was a sign that you were a greater sinner than other people, but it was supposed to be a picture of the reality of sin's contamination and isolation of people. And so leprosy created this physical, emotional, and spiritual distress that only God could deal with. If you go to 2 Kings 5, and I'm not asking you to turn there, but maybe go back there this afternoon, and read the story of Naaman. And here is a man who was a man of great prestige. He was one of the generals in the Syrian army, and he had a problem, and that problem was leprosy. And he knew eventually he could, he could no longer continue to be a general in the army. He could no longer uh, continue to be in the presence of the king. Um, and he heard that there was a prophet in Israel who could deal with him. So think of that for a moment. Your enemy has a prophet. And you're going to go see him. Try to find him and have the audacity to ask to be healed of your leprosy. That's how desperate Naaman was. He used all of his resources. He got a letter from his own king. He had probably, you know, tons of gold and silver that he's carting out to where he's not really sure where in Israel, the northern kingdom, all in the hopes that he would be received, that he would be healed, and he could begin life anew. That's how desperate this man was. That's how desperate leprosy made people. Sometimes leprosy was, in fact, a punishment for grave disobedience. We see this in the case of Miriam uh, when she tried to rebel against Moses and usurp Moses' authority. She was given uh, leprosy for seven days and forced to be outside the camp. It was a temporary measure in her case. In the case of Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, it was a permanent thing that would go throughout generations because he had compromised the gospel by taking the money from Naaman. 
That's a whole different story that I want to preach on one of these days, but just hear that part of it right now. We also see King Uzziah, who usurped the role of the priest, was then stricken with leprosy and forced to rule from a back room in his palace with a vice regent. So, leprosy was seen as sometimes a, a consequence or a punishment for grave sin. And so here we have this leper who comes to Jesus. He's imploring him and he's kneeling before him. This is intended to be, of course, a picture of a desperate man, a man who has run out of options. There's nothing the doctors can do for him. There's nothing the priests can do for him. The law merely exposes the fact that he is a leper. The law does not say how he can stop being a leper. It just tells us later on what happens if he does stop being a leper. And so this is a man who is desperate, who has no choice. He's hanging on to this one hope that this man named Jesus, whose reputation has been going out from Capernaum, can do something for him. This man cannot fix his problem. In fact, no mere man can fix his problem. And so his faith is turning from all other fixes to Jesus. And he cries out to him as he kneels before Jesus, If you will, you can make me clean. This man, who knows very little about Jesus except from what he has heard on the streets, has confidence in Jesus' power or ability to heal him. The word here that is used is not the one of um, uh, right to do something, but more power, ability, the dynamos, where we get dynamite. So he's convinced that Jesus has the power to do this. But listen to what he says. If you will, he doesn't say you can make me healthy. He says you can make me clean. He's not simply wanting physical restoration or healing. He wants to be made clean. He sees the spiritual aspect of his problem and he's looking for a spiritual solution to his problem a spiritual resolution. He wants to become ritually uh, ritually pure, ceremonially pure again, so he can not only live amongst God's people, but he can go to the temple with all of God's people and fulfill his responsibilities. He wants spiritual restoration just as much, possibly even more, than the physical and emotional restoration that he, was, he would experience. Now, I don't think any of you have leprosy or a friend with leprosy, because now it's rather rare. But there are similar issues that have a physical component, but they also create a lot of uh, emotional problems and isolation, stigmatization, uh, that can sometimes also lead to spiritual complications as well. People who experience addictions, for instance, especially if you have a, a, an unpopular addiction, okay? 
you can often experience social ostracization. And that can include what happens at churches. Because not every church is very warming to the reality of sin in the presence of people. And so you can experience disconnection from others and experience some spiritual problems as well. People who struggle with same-sex attraction often feel a lot of this as well, but it's not just stuff like that. People who suffer from mental health problems often feel disconnected from the church. And sometimes churches exasperate that by saying, well, if you just believed enough, this wouldn't be a problem. And that's really not um, a wise way to address these particular problems. Something like fibromyalgia, which doesn't have stigma attached to it, but by the nature of the weakness, the loss of strength that accompanies the disease, means that you become increasingly disconnected from other people because it becomes so wearisome to interact and to leave the house. So let's not think this is simply about being lepers, but this is about all kinds of situations that create these sorts of physical maladies that have emotional components as well as spiritual components with them that result. The uncertainty for this man lies not in the ability of Jesus, but the willingness of Jesus. And yet he comes to Jesus banking everything on the fact that Jesus will be willing. And so as we think about saving faith, I want us to to recognize two aspects of it, is that saving faith includes resting in the unique ability or power of Jesus to save sinners. That there's no one else in the whole world who can do this. He is the one person who can save sinners. He has the unique ability to do this. Saving faith also includes resting in the merciful disposition of Jesus to save sinners. That not only does he have the ability to do this, but he has the willingness to do this. He has the desire to do this. The inclination to do this. And why do we have this? Um, why does it, why can we rest on his merciful disposition? And that is the cross of Jesus Christ, where he bears the sin of sinners. We have proof of his merciful disposition towards sinners. And so we can come. We can ask for mercy. We can ask for forgiveness. We can ask for restoration. Sinclair Ferguson notes that the weakest faith gets the same strong Christ as does the strongest faith. It's not a matter of, in other words, it's not a matter of how strong your faith is. It's a matter of who you rest in by your faith. And if you're resting in the Jesus of the scriptures, you find a strong savior, a willing savior. And so faith rests on Jesus for our physical, emotional, and spiritual restoration. So as we think of this story, as it kind of unfolds, my next question uh, that as I read it is, does faith in Jesus fail? And we see uh, that it begins, so to speak, with Jesus being moved with pity. Now, there is what is called a textual variant that is here. 
That is one of those things that scholars fight about that you need not concern yourself with a whole lot this morning. But I thought I would bring it up. There is an alternative reading that Jesus was being was indignant or filled with um, being in, well, anger. And the, the idea would be that he was angry at the ravages of sin. And we came across a similar thing in uh, John's Gospel when Jesus was outside the tomb of Lazarus. And there he was angry. He was indignant. But even if it does say that Jesus is indignant, what we see here predominantly is the reality of his pity revealed in his actions. And so I'm sticking with moved with pity. We see pity on display. Jesus is willing to heal this man precisely because Jesus is full of pity. We see in places like James chapter 5, we've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. We can go to many other places like Lamentations 3, Isaiah 42, but the, te- one of the, the, the ongoing testimonies of Scripture is that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so Jesus is compassionate towards this man. And because He's full of pity towards this man, Jesus stretched out His hand and touched him. Jesus could have just spoken as He's done in other instances already in Mark's Gospel, and the man could have been healed. Jesus could have been like Elisha and said, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River and you will be healed. But He does none of that. He stretches out His hand and He touches him. The connotation of that word is not just a little touch like that. Like, like maybe his finger just, just kind of barely touches it. Crazy. No. It has the idea of adhering, grabbing. Jesus grabs him in a way that he has probably not been grabbed since he got the disease because he's had to walk around going unclean, unclean, so everyone stays away from him. Jesus breaks the perimeter, the, the, the boundary around this man, grabs a hold of him because he's moved by pity. This man not only needs to um, be healed, he needs to feel physical touch. He needs to have love expressed to him. And Jesus does this. Jesus says to him, I'm not concerned about your leprosy. I'm not concerned about being made unclean by you. In fact, I'm going to make you clean. In every other case, if someone had touched this man, they would become unclean. But when we have Jesus, it's the other way around. Nothing can make him unclean. But he can make anyone and anything clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. And, Mark lets us know, he was made clean. Just in case you didn't you know, get that, he was also made clean. There's the physical healing that takes place and the leprosy disappears, but there's also the spiritual restoration that takes place and that this man is made clean. So that now the emotional restoration can be, begin because he can be touched, he can be loved, he can be with people and talk with them without the stigma 
without the fear. Mark says this in, in the sense of that there's no delay or doubt. I mean, there was sort of a, a, a sense of delay and doubt with Naaman because you know he's told to go back to the Jordan River and dip himself in seven times, and you know there's this whole trip to the Jordan where, of course, he's complaining because he doesn't want to go in the Jordan. He wishes he could go, you know, to some other river, some better, cleaner river uh, back in Syria. And there's doubt that he has, and there's uncertainty. But yet when he finally, after the advice of his servants, dips himself seven times into the, the Jordan River, it says, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So what we see is something similar to Naaman in that he's restored and he's clean, but it happened instantaneously there was no journey to somewhere else. There was no journey like the, the ten lepers that we saw in Luke's Gospel, you know, where they had to go to the priest. And on the way to seeing the priests, they were cleared, cleaned of their leprosy. Here, it was instantaneous. The open sores were gone. The lesions were gone. Mark doesn't say this, but I, I wonder if the damage was restored as well. If, he had, if it had advanced far enough that digits that were missing were perhaps replaced, we don't know. Mark doesn't say specifically, but I think so. Dr. Brand, one of the things that he did as working with lepers was that he developed some new surgical techniques to repair tendons and help them to regain usefulness of their hands and their feet. And Jesus did this all with a word and a touch. His isolation from the people of God was now over. His inability to maintain work was over. Instead of being a beggar, he could now have a job which is far more suitable for emotional well-being than begging or welfare can ever be. Tim Keller notes that when we receive healings and deliverances now, they are small windows into the great things to come. This man's healing is a, is a little window into what is to come when uh, people will, at the return of Jesus, experience the full restoration of their bodies as well as full restoration of their minds, mental health, emotional well-being, and not just the spiritual restoration that takes place. Jesus is going to deal with all of these things eventually. Jesus in the present uses wisdom to know if our physical restoration either helps or hinders our spiritual restoration. In other words, brothers and sisters, we must admit that there are times when Jesus says, if I were to heal you, you would be worse off than if I didn't. That it is needful that you continue to experience this difficulty in your life so that you continue to depend upon me as opposed to forgetting me. That's a hard word, but that's a necessary word. We should not come with the expectation um, that Jesus will make us perfectly fine now. 
but leave that to Him. But faith, back to our question about what is, is faith, uh, what was my question? Does faith in Jesus fail? We can say that faith finds Jesus full of pity and power. Well, what does restoration look like beyond the physical aspects of it that this man experienced? Well, Jesus uses uh, or issues some instructions, and the word there is, is stern. So, I mean, he was clear to this guy. He was, he was like looking in his eye. This is what you have to do. Okay. Say nothing to anyone. <laughs> Sounds a little weird initially. But show yourself to the priest and make the offerings necessary. And so Jesus is not um, undermining the law, but he wants this man to fulfill what we see in Leviticus 14, to go and to offer the sacrifices, to be examined by the priest, to be declared clean by the priests. He, he does this, in a sense, to provide testimony to the priests that there is, in fact, another prophet in Israel like Elisha. In fact, there is a prophet in Israel who's greater than Elisha. He is the prophet that they've been waiting for. This will be proof to them, because no one else in the history of Scripture had ever healed leprosy. He is only the second person. And so they should have been like, wait a minute, what in the world just happened? we got to check this thing out. Which, of course, we find that they really don't do. And because of their unbelief, it can be held against them as evidence that they have rejected the Son of Man. So, Jesus says, don't tell everyone else, I imagine, yet, Okay, because he wants them to first go to the priest okay. and to be examined properly. But we see that the man went out and began to freely talk about it and to spread the news. He's talking to the wrong audience. He needed to go, remember, he needed to go to the priest first. We're going to see that there are repercussions for this, not for him, that the repercussions are going to be for Jesus, but while he's disobedient, he also wasn't like the other nine lepers that we saw in Luke's account of a different healing, who basically were healed and sort of disappeared in Luke 17. But I want us to, to see something here that is important for us to remember, is that while we may have been restored and forgiven and pardoned, our obedience is not perfect. Like this man here, who has been restored, our obedience is imperfect and incomplete. And so if you think that coming to Jesus means that you are restored spiritually to the extent that you're not going to struggle with sin anymore, um, you are woefully mistaken. Restoration is not physical perfection, or sorry, spiritual perfection. As Martin Luther put it, we are at the same time just and sinner. We are positionally just, we would say, because we've received the righteousness of Jesus, but in and of ourselves, we're still corrupt, and we're still sinners, and we still fail and fall short of the glory of God. 
But because we're united to Jesus by faith, because of that, there is no condemnation for the sin that we struggle with. That's a key distinction for us to keep in mind. On the positive side, we see that this news was too good for this man to keep to himself. This man becomes a herald of Jesus' pity and power. In one of the Monty Python movies, there's a man running around Jerusalem, spare a talent for an old ex-leper. He was upset because Jesus came by and healed him. And now he was out of a job. He didn't have any life skills. He, he was a beggar. And now he's running around looking perfectly hell, healthy, looking for um, money he's to continue his begging. Um, what Jesus has for us instead is to become heralds that he has healed us. That that not be sort of like an accidental aside of why we're, you know, whatever. But that to be the main point. The I was lost, but I've been found. Uh, That I was a wretch, and he loved me. Being a herald of the kingdom, speaking to what Jesus has done for you, how he has displayed his pity and power in your life in addressing the dynamics of sin and misery in your life. This news, if you've experienced this, is too good to keep to yourself. How many of you, if you had won the lottery, would keep that to yourself? Obviously, you wouldn't go on Facebook because then you would be flooded with requests for money. But you know what? You'd be excited. And then I'd come talk to you about why you were playing the lottery. That's a different story. (laughs) But when we experience God's mercy, it should be natural for us to speak of God's mercy. If we've experienced His pardon... It should be natural for us to speak of that pardon. And the deeper the guilt and shame we felt, the more we should want to speak about it. Because big sin requires a big Savior, and we find a big Savior in Jesus. And it's okay to talk about how lost you were as long as you talk about how great He is for finding you. We can speak about His pity, His power, because we've experienced it ourselves. Now the bad news, the bad side of this, the unintended consequences of this man's excitement, uh, which is in part of why Jesus told him, don't tell anybody, uh, is that the news restricted Jesus' movement. Uh, Jesus, remember, to this point, he's been going through the villages and cities of Galilee and going to the synagogues. And he's been there he's been teaching and uh, then healing people and casting out demons. Now, the clamor for Jesus is so great that he can't enter into a city. Uh, at least he can't do it publicly. He's got to kind of sneak in somehow 
At, you know, when everyone else is asleep at the crack of dawn I'm, I'm, or something. He cannot knowingly go there. Jesus has to remain like the leper was, in a sense, in desolate places. Jesus, in a sense, as sin bearer, experiences some of this reality in that he's, he's not free to move about as he would like. But people still sought him out. People were still looking for him, though he was in the desolate places. And so restored people tell people that Jesus is full of pity and power. So if we're going to wrap this whole thing up, it's as simple as Jesus is full of pity and power towards sinners. It's a very simple message, but it's probably one of the most powerful messages we can imagine. Because we live in a world that is not filled with pity and power towards sinners. We live in a world that is full of condemnation and ostracization for sinners. As our culture defines them at any given moment. And that can change. So, leprosy, kind of getting back to what caused all of this thing here. Leprosy now can be cured if you want to go through a year-long multi-drug regimen to be healed of leprosy. And if you have leprosy, I imagine you do. Okay. Some of its damage can be restored, but not completely. We see worldwide that cases have dropped from 5.2 million in the 1980s to about 173,000 in 2006 because of the fact that now we have a cure. But what Jesus did is not simply cure man, but that Jesus healed him. He addressed the totality of his physical issues, but he also addressed his emotional issues and his spiritual issues. We can see how great the great physician really is in the healing of the leper. We see that Jesus is indeed full of pity and power. Have you received his pity and power in the past? Where do you need his pity and power in the present? Do you, through unbelief, restrict His pity and power and need to trust Him, to trust what the Scripture says about Jesus so that you will be coming to Jesus for that which you need? If you've received it, do you bear testimony to that pity and power, particularly to those in need of His pity? And power. That's where this text pushes us. Because that is where it pushed the original audience. Have you received this Jesus? Do you proclaim this Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your testimony of this Jesus. Most of us would not come up with a Jesus like this. It's beyond our, our imagination in many ways. 
because he's like no one we've ever met. We've met kind people. We've met powerful people. But we, but this is a man who is so incredibly kind and so incredibly powerful that it stretches our imagination to the breaking point. And yet this is who you declare your son to be. And he stands ready to receive sinners. Just as he stood ready to receive the leper. And so just as there is no disease that was greater than Jesus, so there is no sin. Help us to remember that. Not only for when we fail, but when we talk with sinners. That we can reflect what Paul said. Such were some of you. The incredible capacity of Jesus to restore sinners broken by the fall. Help us to really believe that. Amen.